For this one, you just show up and talk and deliberately derail the conversation. I have not derailed anything. He didn't notice. He didn't deny the intent. He didn't. He didn't say it wasn't deliberate. You've got a sponsor this week. Yeah, <laughs> Joel's got a weird look on his face. This is going to be bad. <laughs> Forget it. I'm not, we're not doing a podcast. No podcast this week. <laughs> it's not going to work. Can't do it. Hey everyone, you're listening to episode 49 of the Stack Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. Today we have special guest Matt Grum from the Photography Stack Exchange. Welcome, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, plus the usual suspects, David Fullerton. Hey. Jay Hanlon. Hello. Fake producer, Alex. Hello. And the show notes by Abby. Hello. There you go. And today's episode <laughs> brought to you by the letter S. S stands for Stack Exchange. Hello, everybody. S. Welcome. This That's is a good letter. Already like the worst episode of Sesame Street ever. <laughs> Okay. What's going on? What's on the agenda for today's Stack Exchange podcast? Anything new going on in the world of Stack Exchange? We have slight milestones, as slight always. milestones. Do you, do you want to jump to them? Is that what you're getting at? You'd Let's like, do this first. You'd like to start with those? Well, I, I feel like anybody that's listened to my amazing introduction is already going to hang on to hear Matt Grum from Photography Stack Exchange. I think I see what Joel's doing is Matt Grum is actually the hook. People are only He's sticking around. Ah, so we're going to save yeah. it until the end. It's like when the news says, like, is something in your kitchen about to kill you? <laughs> we'll is. tell you sometime right. before the end of this show. Right. Right after this commercial, and, and all of the others were not and telling news, weather, and sports. I don't know if we really want to be associated with that kind of news. Okay, so the site milestones. Go ahead, Jay. Site milestones. So we have a couple things going on. We have two sites that I think are new in public beta for our podcast listeners. Blender is in public beta right now. We might have talked about that. I believe we, we did. I think we talked about going into public beta, but it's yeah, in public beta now. Um, and freelancing. What uh, is, what's a blender, by the way? A blender is a device you use to make uh, either <laughs> margaritas or daiquiris. Every question there is just, will it blend? Uh, we, we made <laughs> jokes about this last week. We can't keep going. We, was I on that podcast? <laughs> I don't remember um, that joke. So it's a CMS. Blender? No, not at all. It's a it's not. Uh, rendering software, isn't it? 3D. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That was a good guess because every stock exchange we have that you've never heard of is some <laughs> CMS. A CMS. Software or CMS. Um, but Blender is a 3D. It sounds like Matt can answer this better than I can. Matt, what's Blender? Well, as far as I know, it's just a 3D rendering piece of software. It's open source, very popular. People have used it on sort of feature quality films. It's really mature product. It's incredible what people can do with it. It shows a bit of ingenuity and some skill. A free piece of software, and you can produce results just as good as the Hollywood studios. That was a lot wow. better than I could We have should done. have Matt introduce all the new sites. Yeah, he's actually more qualified to talk about our sites than we are, which is probably not good for us. No, it's embarrassing kind of for us. Let's go back and edit that so that we look smarter. All right, guys? Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Blender's got, I think, really, really impressive, given, I think, the size of their audience, really impressive engagement so far. It seems to be a kind of didn't have a great place for discussion. So we're, for a niche topic, really excited about them so far. So we got Blender. We got Freelancing is going into public beta, I think, this week. Freelancing is a site. This is the community's second run at Freelancing. We had one before. And I think what we saw in the first time was it was a little bit of that problem, Joel, you've talked about before, where sort of everyone said, you know, the question was all a different version of, I'm a freelancer and I'd like to work more. How do I make that happen, right? So the type of questions we were getting, I think, just didn't fit our model very well and also just didn't have answers. This time, we're seeing much better quality. I think there are much more specific questions around how to approach life as a freelancer. We're still probably a little light on participation, but there's enough to take it to public beta. So we're going to see how they do. And we're encouraging the community to uh, try and do a little bit of evangelism and connect with the broader freelancing communities. And uh, some folks here are also reaching out to some of the places where those people congregate. But we'll see how they do. 
And then the last thing I think that is worth highlighting is that our Salesforce site yeah. is going to fully graduate. Yeah. They're going to get a full site design. We're going to, you know, have This is the, for Salesforce, the software. Oh, sorry, not software. The Salesforce, the not software, not for Salesforce, the job category. What? Of, well, all right. So this Salesforce, it's a company. They make not software. It's like software with a line through it. McDonald's right? is also a company that makes not software. Go on. They make not food as well. <laughs> no, no. But Salesforce explicitly <laughs> makes not software. That's what they are. They're a not software company. And that's what it's about. It's about the not software not made by Salesforce. It's not. You know, about we have a whole like network a around about of, not software, except for one or two. So, uh, help me. Help. Okay, so in Salesforce, when they have advertisements, it says the word software, and there's like a little line through it, as if it's like not software. Just their whole deal is that they're not software. Am I not correct in that in saying that Salesforce is not software? I can't tell if you know something I don't, or you don't know anything at all about this topic. <laughs> it could really go either way. Quintuple negative. It's something. It's software used by Salesforce teams, but it's advertised as, as not being software, even though it is software. The Salesforce Stock Exchange, in their own words, is yeah. for Salesforce administrators, implementation experts, developers, and anybody. The Salesforce TM. Between, yeah, I think the Salesforce site is not for people who are salespeople that use Salesforce generally. I think it's more for the developers that build. APIs and look, their phone number is one eight hundred no software. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with you know a lot yeah, more about this. Yeah, I think that's than I one of their marketing yeah. ploys. I mean, it's clearly software as we would define <laughs> it. But they're trying to well, whatever yeah. the people that they're talking to hate software and hate having to customize it or whatever. And I think, think their idea is it's not enterprise software. Look at this. That nineteen ninety. If you read the history of their works. company, they were founded in nineteen ninety nine, and like on the timeline, it says nineteen ninety nine, the end of software revolution begins. But what is that? Is that their software as a service? What, I actually I don't they know what they're getting. Yeah, I think that's what it means, is that it's in the cloud. It's not a local. They were one of the earlier companies. I thought everybody knew that. That's why I wasn't deliberately no, being no, obscure. No, no, because you're, you're an expert on everything. We don't know this stuff. But I think they're interesting. Uh, one of the things I'd highlight for Salesforce is they really had a very, very quick run through right. the beta process. One of the things we did when we were talking about these guys is if you search sites by oldest, these guys, there are like there's 15 or 20 older sites than they are that are not yet ready. So this is one that really kind of went quickly through the RS51 process, but also has just really quickly gained traction. So really happy about how the, how the sites progressed. So that's an upcoming graduation. We also had one graduation recently, which was the Christianity site graduated and got a design, which is really nice, done by our designer, Jin Yang. So check out Christianity Stack Exchange and marvel at its beautiful design. Oh, I haven't actually seen that. Whoa. It's like there's a harps playing and... Very celestial. Yep. And in a just hilariously awesome random set of circumstances, <laughs> when we added Christianity to the list of fully launched sites at the site footer, we added categories recently to make it easier to find other sites. And something in the combination of the number that were there, adding Christianity in the newly categorized site created an unexpected consequence where it wound up the addition of the Christianity site bumped all of the science sites out of our footer and they all disappeared. Ooh. Well, they didn't disappear. They got bumped <laughs> to the right. So there was a bug on Meadow, which was like, why did this, where did the science sites go? And I had to reply and say, well, ironically, we added, we, Christianity. Added, we added Christianity and all the science sites moved out of the way. So we fixed that bug. Now it says here on the Trello board not to talk about libraries closing. Is that because we should be whispering? That is because I forgot who I was dealing with. No, I wanted to make sure we had everything lined up and everything had been finalized before we talked about it. But this isn't a secret. It's been posted on the network. And I think Libraries is a good example of a site that had a handful of incredibly devoted, incredibly talented people on the topic and was simply never able to attract enough of a core audience around them to get traction and really become sustainable. And, you know, even if you have four really awesome people, 
if there's no one else who comes more than once a month, you really can't make a site work. And that's not the right number there, obviously, but it had some real expertise, but just could never attract, I think, enough of an audience to work. So that is one of the sites we're shutting down. And what we told them and we always say is the hope is we think it could work really well in the network, but it, it needs to start with, you know, real energy behind it. And this one just never really gathered it. So, so those are some okay. milestones. Okay, great. So uh, we're not going to talk about the library, which is a... Correct, correct. We successfully avoided talking about the library site. Do not mention the library. Good work, everyone. Yeah, yeah. And mission accomplished. Can we, can we ask Matt things now, Joel? Okay, go ahead. Let's ask Matt things. Next on our show, so we have a guest today, Matt Crum from Photography Stack Exchange. Hi. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Matt. So Matt's here with us because he is the top user, top rep user, I should say, on the photography site. He's a prolific answer. I think he has nine, 957 answers, if I'm not mistaken. Really? I, I believe so. Uh, when you have a thousand, we should have a party or something. You should have a party. This should us. be the party. This could be the party. Right now. Yeah, well, if you want to fly me over to uh, yeah. wherever in the States you're based, I'll have to. We'll just hit pause on the record here while you answer just another. Go, yeah, go answer 43 more questions. <laughs> Matt has never asked a question. I want to ask him about that. But let's talk. Your big picture background is you are both a professional photographer and a professional developer. Is that correct? Yes. So one question I'm always intrigued by when we're talking about the, the less technical sites. Well, photography certainly is a technical aspect. So your exposure, I assume, to the photography site starting was uh, through awareness of Stack Overflow. Is that accurate? Well, yeah. So as you say, I was a user of Stack Overflow for programming and development questions. And I, I saw an icon on the sidebar announcing the new site. Um, and I joined, you know, it must have been a few months after the public beta ended. So I didn't, I didn't quite get on right at the very start. But I saw the site and obviously I was very interested in photography. I like sharing knowledge. I got an account on there and started answering a few questions. And it's just kind of gone on from there, really. You've been a really prolific answer. And one thing that struck me is your answers are extraordinarily broad, which is to say that you seem to answer questions kind of across the full spectrum. What got you hooked, right? So you went in and you were interested and you checked it out and you answered a couple of questions. But what made it sort of gel for you and what keeps you coming back? Did the game draw you in at all? Do you, do you not pay any attention to that? Like, do you, know what your, do you know what your rep is right now? Do you have any idea? Um, it's thousands, tens of thousands, something like 50, 60,000, something like that. I don't know exactly. But yeah, I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't you know, slight satisfaction of, of getting feedback from the answers. That's obviously a feedback mechanism that's very good. But generally, I, I enjoy teaching. I'm really passionate about the subject matter. And I hate when people are wrong on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't manage to channel that into something even borderline helpful. So that's a nice story for us. So, so one question we did get in our chat room was, again, you've got 957 answers. You have, hang on, let me tally them up, zero questions. Mm -hmm. And so the question that was asked was, does he know everything? So I'll, I'll pose it to you directly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the obvious answer. That there is absolutely nothing I don't know about photography, hence I've never asked any questions of the site. But Impressive. No, that, that, that's not true at all. There are things I know. There are lots of other technical blogs I read when I'm interested in various things. And a lot of times questions occur to me and I'm never near a computer. And there's been several things I've been meaning to ask, but I haven't got really got around to it. So you'll expect that I will asking some certain questions. A lot of things I really want to know about photography don't always fit well into the Stack Exchange format. Like I'm fascinated with ideas about people's perception of photography as an art form, particular in terms of things like HDR images are obviously derided across the internet. But for me, they're the equivalent of kind of pop music. They're very accessible, yet pop music is derided by music snobs. And I want to know if a certain style of photography is genuinely better or if it's just perceived as better because it appeals to fewer people. Is <laughs> prog rock generally better than pop or is it just people's snobbery? I really don't know the answer. To that. I'd love people's opinions, but that doesn't fit in a, in a question and answer format because it's an open-ended 
um, very subjective question. Yeah, it's a sort of a conversation. Everyone feels like they're supposed to say that InSync sucked, but if you really want to debate with me that Bye 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 was not catchy, I just can't talk to you anymore. I can't. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> no, they everyone don't, will grant you that it's catchy. I don't agree. Music snobs will argue that it's garbage and it hurts your ears and you shouldn't be listening to no, it. No, Justin Timberlake, really? No, he'd never say that. JT would never even talk to me that way. No, 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 no. I mean, he was he's a real music person, I guess. I now he is. Yeah. He is. I mean, sure. Well, but I think that it's an interesting question, right? At what point do people get attached to the idea mm. of something being sort of beneath them, that the specialization becomes appealing as opposed to the reasons behind it? Yeah. You know, well, now you're changing the subject a little bit, but that's okay. Let's change the subject. Am I? Am I? Yeah. That's the, that's the example that, uh, that Matt was using. That's not really the subject. I guess that's, that's okay. true. I guess that's true. Well, if you want to talk about that, we can. I, th- I think there's a sort of juvenile kind of thing where you learn three things about a subject. And then you use it to show all your friends that you know something more about that subject than they do, right? Like you've learned that, that stock photography is cheesy and you make fun of all your other webmaster friends for using stock photography. Right. You're like, oh, that's so cheesy. What I like to do now is I, like, I'll be talking to, to a developer and I'll be like, yeah, why don't you just use PHP? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what that means you or what the hell say, I'm talking about. You say that's jQuery pretty good, instead. No, I heard, jQuery seems to be the answer to everything. That's right. the good that's answer. That's why right? it makes you sound smart. I'll just say, oh, jQuery, not. Mm, maybe three yeah. years ago. Yeah. So let me ask a question. Is, this is something we were talking about recently, so I'm just going to, you're, you're, you're my one-person user test. What privileges, if any, do you remember getting, like that you were working toward, that you were excited to get, that you, you know, were thinking about? Or was that never on your radar, really? It, yeah, it wasn't really on the radar. At some point, I noticed I had the ability to edit people's posts and delete other posts and things like that. But that side of things was never that important to me. There are a lot of people that are on Stack Exchange that are into the sort of moderator side, and they do a really good job. Uh, with all of the, that side of things. And I kind of sort, sort of intentionally stayed away from that and let the people that are really good at moderating the site and running the meta and everything like that um, do their job. And I'll just sort of concentrate on answering photography questions, basically. So it's, it's funny you say that because my theory, my personal totally untested theory is that the power to edit other people's questions without approval is sort of the the most dramatic, the one that I think oh, for I me. The, uh, I bet the grammar Nazis love it. <laughs> Can I say that? Absolutely. <laughs> So can we talk non-stack exchange photography stuff? Yeah. This is an interesting week for photography. I'm sure there's a lot of chatter around the Chicago Sun-Times this week, this week, last week, very recently, um, just fired all their photographers, I guess in favor, in theory, initially of freelancers is how they positioned it, right? Yeah. And video. They said, we need to focus more on Focus video. on video. On the interwebs. My favorite part of the story is, I actually pulled a quote because I was reading this before the podcast. The next day, they also said that sometimes reporters would all get mandatory trading on, quote, iPhone photography basics, because, and this is still them talking, in the coming days and weeks, we'll be working with all editorial employees to train and outfit you as much as possible to produce the content we need <laughs> with iPhones. <laughs> this is, this to oh, me... What's in the training? It's like not getting your fingers in front of the lens. It's kind of... <laughs> right, right. Like I gave my mom similar training when she finally upgraded her StarTac <laughs> to an iPhone, I imagine. We were discussing this. I was having trouble taking selfies the other day. <laughs> you know, there's Where a button to reverse. hold the camera the relative to the mirror. Yeah, I was just, uh, I was down in London and I saw somebody doing selfies and they had a kind of telescopic wand, like a, a radio aerial with a camera on the end and they just oh. sort of <laughs> used that and then they got the selfies without the really That's... awkward perspective. This again. is like a mirror yeah, on a stick. Like... <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same thing. I was amazed and... Brilliant but, idea. Uh, isn't this a little bit, this is like the, this is like Columbia Presbyterian, right? There's a, that's a major hospital in New York. Yeah, there's their full staff. And they're like, all right, yeah. nurses, orderlies, janitors. Yep. yep. We appreciate you all coming here today, taking some we time. We don't have anesthesia anymore. No, no. The bad news is we've fired all the neurosurgeons, right? Ah. But, but, but we, we will be providing a complimentary copy of Operation, the game of wacky doctoring <laughs> to each of you, <laughs> along with training on how to remove the elusive funny bone. Like, it's yeah, just yeah. such a bizarre... Oh, Jay, you're such a camera yeah. snob. 
the problem is it's been seized upon by the media as a, as a kind of obviously the the iPhone training thing comes straight after that writes easy headlines but it's reflective of just a trend these days that uh, there's two sides to editorial photography there's the technical quality of the image and there is the content of the image and the content of the image is all about being in the right place at the right time right so what better way of doing that than having everybody on the planet? It's not just their own photographers, not just their own staff that will be taking iPhone photos. They will be soliciting them from the general public. That's right. In fact, you know and that it's you just part that. of our culture. It's sort of news is now immediate. It's it's on Twitter before it's hit any your TV outlet, and the papers are responding to this. And obviously, I feel very sorry for the people that that did have jobs there and that they've got you know mortgages to pay and things. It's bad for them, but it's. It's a natural evolution of the way that people consume news. Setting aside the silly iPhone stuff, there actually is a part of this that strikes me as understandable. I'm not saying it's better, but if you sort of say, instead of us trying to hire a whole bunch of professionals, let's assume we, that we stick with, they believe they'll continue to need a decent amount of professional photography in addition to video and iPhone pics and silliness. It doesn't sound crazy to say, instead of us hiring, you know, a hundred photographers and trying to always get them to the right place and have them fight and claw, a, a system in which there are simply... 10,000 of these photographers who are out around going to various things that they think are newsworthy. I know what you're describing. And then selling them to the, the, pap- the paparazzi. That's what you're describing. <laughs> but you know what is I mean? It, it does seem Instagram? like right now what you could argue that each paper having its own proprietary photographers is a, a little bit of a weird fragmentation of a photography. You know what I mean? The, the centralized model does seem theoretically more efficient. No. Yeah, and I can see exactly why they're doing it, because a lot of the members of the general public, they don't value their photography that highly. They'd be willing to part with images for a you know nominal fee, probably for free in most cases. People will just send them in voluntarily, and they're not getting rid of professional photography right. altogether. They're just moving to a freelance model, which allows them to sort of scale their expenditure and, and not be liable for costs for periods when they don't need professional photography. Sure, and, and the other obvious thing that's going on here is just the, the of the newspaper industry, right? I mean, so I don't know how much to... To read right. into this, but it is, or I think what, what Matt was saying earlier is true, right? So, I mean, the obvious thing that we're seeing is just everybody's got a camera all the time. So you can, you get the right picture, even though it's not perfect more often just by giving everybody a camera. Yeah. It's a hundred monkeys approach right. hundred or a million monkeys and a million typewriters. Right. They're all bashing away and they just, somebody I just appreciate to- you calling me with my, with my smartphone, a monkey. <laughs> Right, and I guess that from a business perspective, the truth is the awesome, incredible photograph is probably less valuable to them than the exclusive, mediocre, crappy one, right, on some of it, yeah. which is yeah. unfortunate, I think, from a quality perspective. But and, and a photograph from a professional photographer who's got there 15 minutes after the incident is not as good as somebody that was standing right next to it when right. it happens. Right. Yeah. Like, look at the, I mean, not to bring it down but the marathon bombing right i mean the the images that you saw everywhere were not when the professional photographers arrived they were all the photos that people took with their cameras right when it happened i mean that's yeah. that's what right makes better news so i wanted to bring up one other thing here which is it's still kind of a little bit not quite vaporware i'm not, I'm not sure it's going to work but google glass is the other thing that that's kind of interesting in this context you know it's it's just taking it one step further what if taking a photo is is now even more accessible than taking your camera out of your pocket and finding the photo app and taking a photo. Now you can, you know, instantly take a photo of whatever you're looking at. Yeah, well, this this is fascinating for a number of reasons. First of all, for a technological one to be, I just want one. I think it's a cool gadget. <laughs> but it raises all sorts of interesting problems because the legally people have no right to privacy when they're in a public space, which means if I walk down the street and take a photograph, I don't have to go around and get permission from every single person that happens to be in the background. And that's a rule that 
that I think is right and I think should remain. But at the same time, it's a different thing to when somebody's walking around with Google Glass on, when there's face recognition, it's recording everything, using face recognition technology, applying semantic information to that. Suddenly, the expectation of privacy changes. Obviously, you don't expect to never be photographed if you're in a bar, but you also don't expect to be tagged and located and your location to be posted on a website somewhere for people to know where you are. Well, that's sort of like uh, when, when Facebook switched over to putting all the information about your changing data in a feed. And people were shocked and they said, wait, I don't want all my friends to know that. And you're like, well, why did you just update your status and, and say, well, they could have discovered it by looking for it, but I didn't <laughs> yeah. want them to have it shoved directly it's, in their it's faces. Breaking, it's breaking a contract, that, an implicit social contract, which is that you can tell when somebody's taking your picture and you can politely ask them not to if oh, you really don't. Yeah, want that to. hasn't happened for a long time. And the bar is a great example, which is like you had a chance of 98% that nobody catches you going yeah. to that bar. And suddenly it's it's much reduced. Yeah. You might as well just give up and just tweet your location at all times. And, <laughs> and just, just uh, That's one approach. Or wear a mask. Well, masquerade balls come back into fashion with Google Glass now. People will show their <laughs> masks everywhere. And... <laughs> I'm just going to wear a, a paper bag on my head everywhere I go. <laughs> now I'm envisioning these creepy no, masks. No, then it'll be really or... easy to track you because you'll be the guy with the paper bag. <laughs> but if everyone has one everyone will recognize you you'll be like the like the naked cowboy in, in times square matt's brought back my eyes wide shut nightmares again this is gonna be <laughs> terrible terrible another side of this is that people don't know a lot about it it's got the kind of frankenstein knee-jerk reaction when you hear certain stories about anecdotes of people the idea that you'll sneak off work for a crafty beverage and then somebody with google glass on will tag you and your boss will find out things like that they're not necessarily true and i think a lot of the backlash has come from people that maybe don't understand the technology and there needs to be more google needs to be doing more to, to kind of promote the facts and not let the speculation run wild so you'd like google to better highlight that it's still possible to sneak off and drink on the job you feel like yeah, they'd, provided they'd... you have a paper bag on your head I, I... <laughs> perfect I, I mean that that seems like a pretty easy tv ad to run uh, so while we're talking uh we're talking technology. I actually want to, I want to talk about shopping questions in a second. Before we do that, so let me ask a question for all the budding photographers out there. So I have a 1D. You, Joel does not have a 1D. Joel could have a 1D. I don't know. I have one in a drawer somewhere. Hang on. <laughs> not that drawer. It's this drawer. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> hang, hang on. It's under my old 1D. <laughs> Here's the new one. But so what, this is one of those, this would be a terrible question for our network. This is for people that just accidentally listen to this podcast because they saw your name and don't know what we are. So I'm just trying to get started, upgrade, right? So from a purely, they've got an old point and shoot, right? And they're interested in starting real photography. Jay, are you asking what, what camera, camera should you should buy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, they're, they're, I feel I, like you could take this question offline. I'm just offline. intrigued. No, because he, he's actually, I want to come back to shopping questions because Matt's actually contributed a lot there. I will throw out my tiny two bits as a completely amateur photographer like the micro four thirds were a great compromise for me. That sort of mirrorless setup mm -hmm. because I won't carry a proper LR. It's just too big, but I get much better pictures than I did from a pocket. Anything. Well, what I, what I normally advise friends, cause I get asked this question a lot, not on stack exchange, but you know, from friends and things and people ask, you know, what's, what's better Canon, Nikon and Pentax and Sigma and Sony and Fuji. They all make good cameras and there's, there's very little to choose between them, to be honest. They all make fantastic cameras these days and I would advise people to just go into a shop and pick them up and see which one feels nicest in your hand, see which one you, you think would, would be most fun using. If I was given one piece of advice, if anyone wants to get sort of serious with photography, if they want to buy an SLR, get, get themselves an SLR. It doesn't really matter which one. Buy one that's appropriate to the budget and it feels comfortable. And get the kit lens and everything, but just buy yourself a 50, 50 millimeter 50 1.8 lens yeah. that's available for most mounts. Or hundred dollars or whatever, and 
with that, you can do the trendy shallow depth of field shots and you can do an awful lot with that portraits and things. And it's an absolute steal for what you pay for it. And that will be the biggest difference because an SLR with a, with a kit lens with a relatively narrow aperture isn't going to take dramatically different pictures to a super zoom compact. So getting into the interchangeable lens thing and getting yourself 50 mil prime, I think would be the biggest piece of advice I give to anyone that's, that's thinks they might be interested in photography. I think, it, I'm not sure you happen to see this, but I want to say Marco Arment wrote an article that advised exactly that, that the best thing a new photographer could do would be to get a 50 millimeter prime lens on his blog like two weeks ago, very recently. And then he, I think he sold that blog article and everything else he's ever touched to somebody. <laughs> yeah, Mark, that was Mark, actually a sponsored article by... Not um, by Marco anymore. Marco's been liquidating his... I think Used he sold to two Marco. children last week. Now um, it's by Betaworks. We digress. This is about Marco. So that brings me to... So I wanted to highlight photography, I think, is an interesting site in that we have a shopping question spectrum of tolerance, I'd say, on our network. So on Deck Overflow, if you use the word mall anywhere in your thing or reference a store, the whole question gets shut down. There's <laughs> just no room yeah. for it. Photography seems to be a site that's really way more on the lenient side of what's permissible. So you say, what's the best camera or which is more awesome, Nikon or Canon, it will quite rightly get destroyed. But if you ask what camera or what types of cameras would work for, and after four comes any meaningfully specific use case, photography seems extremely tolerant. And I think, I mean, I've seen you answer a ton of these and it seems to be working. And I'm just interested in your take on sort of why that works there and what, if anything, is different? Yeah, there, there are a few differences. I, mean, I, I think that any question that's asked should be applicable, not just to that single person, but to other people that visit the site and search and find the answer to these questions. So asking what camera is best for me without any more information is is not that useful. But if someone says, someone phrases the question in a way that makes it applicable to other people, then that's a, a strong benefit. Another thing with cameras is, if you're asking a question on Stack Overflow or Super User about, you know, which is the better processor to get this one or this one, if you went forward five years time as someone finds that question the obvious answer is well any processor you could find these days will be better than those two best processors from five years ago right so i try and stick away from answering shopping questions about cameras but lenses is another matter because lens design evolves much more slowly because it's based on your optics instead of electronics and silicon so a good lens will remain a good lens for two decades so those questions have a much broader scope They're, they last much longer in time than questions about computer processors or anything else so um, i think i'm i'm happy to answer the questions mainly on lenses because anyone visiting the site in 10 years may still find it interesting to know the difference between various 70 to 200 zoom lenses so that's interesting so that basically takes the shopping question and says that the main concern with the shopping question is how quickly it's going to become obsolete and we don't that's my concern we don't want to become a site where you know every other question is okay what what should i buy this week because last week last week's answer might be out of date yeah and can you imagine just looking back 10 years at, a, at a, someone asking about what type of RAM to buy? The answers are completely meaningless because you wouldn't even be able to find it. And whatever, you know, the bargain basement RAM these days is so much better than what you've sure. got 10 years ago. And the other interesting thing about lenses is that you can kind of make recommendations there without even supporting a particular manufacturer, right? I mean, if you're saying that most of these camera and lens manufacturers are of good quality, then you can at least say, okay, just get, get this lens from any one of these three or four manufacturers. And that makes it also feel a little less like, I don't know, spammy, like you're promoting. Yeah. A, a, you can ask the questions whether I should get a zoom lens or should I get three prime lenses that cover roughly the same range. And then anyone from whichever camera system I happen to be using can take that information and benefit from it. Right. And it feels like it has a little bit more of a timeless answer to it than, you know, who's better, Canon, yeah. Canon or Nikon. The ideal way of phrasing a question about cameras is it's not, you know, which point and shoot shall I get for photographing my parties? 
is what features of a camera are best for shooting parties. And then you can apply that in 10 years time. It'll still be relevant because you know, good autofocus, low light ability, all those things will still be relevant in the future. Maybe, unless our parties have totally changed. And I think that's an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting hybrid approach where you, in theory, can deliver a fair amount of, as Matt was saying, sort of the 10-year answer with very specific examples for someone who doesn't know how to... F- so in theory, you can take an answer like that and say the, the key features you should be looking for, right, are you know, lo- low aperture, fast shutter speed, and blah, 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 right, because of your specific use case. Examples yeah. that fit that well today that are relatively inexpensive would be these two. And then in theory, over time, you can just edit that out or update it, right? Because the core yeah. of the answer is, is sort of timeless, but you can even give, in theory, specifics. So the counter to that, I mean, we've always, I think we've actually always said that if you ask the question of what features should I look for in X, we've been okay with that. The, the most famous example was the, or at least for us, was when David David Pogue asked a question on programmers, what, what programming camp should I send my kid to? Yeah. And uh, it got... Re- it Tell got- me we didn't shut down David Pogue's question. We did. Of we course we did. Close. No, of course it, got, we did. it got closed and then reopened and then edited to say, what features should I look for in a programming <laughs> summer camp? <laughs> Which then we Joel rightly got angry about and said, that's a stupid question that you're, you're no longer answering the question he was asking. He was not... He was he was looking for recommendations, basically, not what features should I look for in a programming camp. What are the features and the name of the specific model <laughs> of camera I should buy for my mom? She's pretty, and it's Mother's Day soon. But I think it's I think it's a spectrum because that's obviously kind of a ridiculous question in the context of programmer camps, and so it's a question of what makes it that way. I think it's that camps have such a like a ridiculously wide range of what could be in a programming camp that it's hard to like nail down here are the features but so it's something like cameras that wasn't even a recommendation question because there were none it was like is there does this thing even exist at all it was it was a strange question i mean i I can see it a lot more with lenses right because it's a it's a narrower universe right there's not a bajillion different kinds of there's a defined set of kind of lenses that exist for the most part one thing that I think photography strikes me as a topic that fits our model particularly well, because I think like programming, we do really well in fields where there are very, very specific technical aspects of how to do something. So there's science, right? So there's a real yeah. meaningful, there's a long list of complex techniques, but that they don't lead to a right answer. So there's a very, very technical skill set that is overlaid with often a, an infinite or a large number of possible solutions. And I think sort of when things get too factual, the answer is just 12, right? Or yeah. uh, uh, Chicago. And when they're too touchy-feely, it goes back to that, what's the best blah, 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 and you can chat all day. But I think there's that combination where you have sort of very, very technical aspects mixed with a large number of possible solutions where we kind of excel. Yeah, sorry, was that a question? <laughs> no, I'm just, I like to talk about why we're awesome from time to time in uh, sort of specific ways. That's what I picked today. Yeah, awesome. No, I agree. <laughs> Tell us more about how awesome we are. <laughs> so I think maybe where Jay was going with this, there was something interesting that I noticed. So the, uh, the photography site did an interview of you on their blog post, and you mentioned there that, that you'd done a, your, was it a, your thesis? Was it a PhD or a master's thesis? No, PhD. PhD thesis in um, something with, Constructing 3D models from photographs, is that right? Mm-hmm. So that seemed like a really interesting, you know, I mean, I know this was well before Stack Exchange, but kind of an interesting precursor of you combining the, the technical aspects of programming and computers that interested you with photography, which was, you know, obviously another of your interests. So would you say that, that that's something that, that drew you to the site and something that you've kind of kept up? 
Well, certainly, I've always been interested in the technical side as well as the artistic side. I think they go together very well. And I, as a child, I'd had a film SLR, an, an old Olympus OM, and I've uh, used it for quite a lot. And I, I got to learn how to use it, how to set the aperture and the shutter speed and everything, and the sort of basics of it, know how to use the camera. But I've kind of it fell into disuse mainly because of the the economics of shooting film and the difficulties. I never never really appealed to me. And it was only when digital photography first became viable that, that rekindled my interest in photography. And that kind of happened whilst I was at university. So I, I went to university with an analog film camera and a friend of mine bought a digital camera in our first year. And so I started using that. We did sort of experiments with it. And I was doing a, a computer science degree at the time and I got interested in image processing, um, that side of things. And it kind of went on from there. So my, my thesis was in constructing 3D models and photographs and taking photographs of a static object from different angles and then trying to build that in 3D. And that involved a lot of signal processing, uh, a lot of other aspects of that. It also involved a very clear understanding of how an image is formed on a camera, how you go from a 3D world into a flat image and what the repercussions are of that. And some things, for example, as a precursor to my thesis, I tried, uh, I did an undergraduate project in trying to take a 2D video and make it into a 3D video. So you take a moving camera, try and infer the depth from that, render it as a stereo pair so you can take a video and watch it in 3D. And I discovered certain things about the nature of motion, that if you pan the camera, that doesn't give you any 3D information because the objects that are in front and behind each other stay the same. So given two photographs of a scene, when you pan the camera, you can't actually tell whether you're photographing a 3D object or you could be taking a photograph of a photograph. There's no 3D information when you pan the camera. You have to you have to move, you have to translate the baseline of the camera in order to get 3D information. Hmm. And that's important for when you're shooting a panorama because when you're doing a panorama, you don't want to include 3D information. You want all of your photographs to line up on the computer seamlessly. If you move the baseline of the camera, then you get problems with objects that were occluding each other in one shot that aren't occluding each other in another shot. So knowledge about that side of things helps understand how to shoot a panorama, why you need special equipment to rotate the camera about its exact optical centre and things like that. There are also issues with image processing that are it's very helpful to understand how things work on a technical level. Another quite an early answer that I gave that was highly controversial was everyone seems to have this opinion that shooting at a high ISO automatically makes your pictures noisy. I posted an answer the question was it had several parts, but one of the parts was is shooting a high ISO always bad? And I said, no, there are circumstances where you can actually get less noise by increasing the ISO setting on your camera. That's because the ISO is an analog amplification that happens before digitization. And if you increase the ISO, you amplify the signal before it's digitized. If you don't do that, if, if you instead underexpose the scene and then brighten it on a computer, you amplify both the photon noise from the image itself and all the digitization noise, you end up with a higher amount of noise by shooting at a lower ISO. Mm. And being a fact that's counterintuitive, it became quite controversial. But by thinking about it from a signal processing point of view, it, it became clear. I think the people that got behind me on the site were the ones with a more technical background that can look through the equations and see, well, yes, that's obviously clear from first principles. Stun mm. silence. I don't understand half of what you just said. <laughs> Maybe someone did. There's this idea that Increasing the ISO setting on your camera makes images noisy. And it's an association because you tend to use high ISOs, high analog application, 
when it's dark, which results in noisy photos. But it's not the ISO itself that's generating the noise. It's the lack of light that's giving you noisy images. <laughs> that does seem like a problem when you're trying to take photos. I've had that problem. There's not enough light. <laughs> that's when I turn the flash on. <laughs> uh, uh, there's been a couple of questions about that. Like, how do I take photos when there's no light? And the answer is you can't. It's a problem. If you thought this was funny, you should listen to Matt's photography podcast next week, which will be featuring David Fullerton saying things like, I use the flash when that happens to me. Can you still buy flash cubes? I haven't been able to find flash cubes in the grocery store. Sometimes I just light a fire. That helps too. When the scene is too dark, my photos taste funny. Any advice? <laughs> Thank you, David. Okay. So one other thing I'd mention, which is, again, not, not a valid question. I'm terrible at interviewing people, but I thought we talk a lot about sort of learning on the site. And I think mm. sometimes it's challenging for, we often listen to how users are taking the site to learn things. And often they have to learn a little bit of power user searching and things, right? They've got to first filter for the right tags and then kind of find the right way to sort, et cetera. But photography is one of those sites where I think there's easier. So like one thing I, I would say to our users, if you're playing with photography and you're learning, just for fun, pull up the photography site and just click on answers by Matt. And what I'd say is you, you'll, I think if you're at all into photography, you'll quickly find that not all of them, but a meaningful number are sort of interesting, useful ways to kind of improve technique, think about it. There's a couple that are, are really awesome. Uh, one thing I think you're very good at, Matt, is you include a lot of drawings and not just photo examples, but you also, I don't know if you pull them or sometimes it looks like you drew them, I assume not, but like sort of technical mm -hmm. sketches that explain. Yeah, I think the highest rated answer I got, which took me by surprise, was about why wide-angle lenses are more expensive than normal ones. It's a great answer. It's a, that's a great answer. There's a Canon have, they've got what they call their, like a digital museum of all their lenses, and they've got all the tech specs on there, and they've also got these diagrams. And I think I got so many votes because people assumed that I was some sort of spy that I'd hacked into the Canon computers and downloaded all the plans for all their lenses. Uh, but they're just available on the internet and just put a few of those examples in because it just makes the point. You can actually see there's a wide-angle lens. It's got 20 bits of glass in it. And there's a 50 mil lens, it's got nine. So obviously the one with 20 curved bits of glass in it's going to cost more to make. I think people assumed that I'd had some sort of source in Canon to get these diagrams, but they're freely available on the net. But yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. And there's, I forget what the, I forget the guy was, but you, you did a great also write-up of that guy who does that kind of striking... Uh, oh, Dave Hill. Dave Hill, yes. that portrait. You did a great kind of deconstruction of how he does that. So last photography question, I think we are running low on time. We've got to touch on a couple of other quick, quick things. So let's ask the dumb sort of talk show. What, do you have any, like, what are, what are the crazy anecdotes from your, your filming a wedding? And, and I have no example. I have no example. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, weddings are fun, though. They're all completely different. I mean, I've, I've done a huge number of different things from sort of costume weddings, large weddings, small weddings. I, I'm sorry, was that cosplay wedding? Is that what? Costume? I, yes, I did one. I don't that think was, that means um, what you think it means. <laughs> it, was, it was a costume wedding. There was nothing to you about it. So when you say Ca costume wedding down to, to Americans, Joel saying the word furries. <laughs> Three, <laughs> no, two, no. One. It's what it's what you would call a fancy dress wedding in England, yeah, right? Because oh. oh. <laughs> when we hear costumes, so we picture lame. people dressing up like Darth Vader or animals. No, it wasn't quite like that. It was a Victorian themed wedding, and it was actually oh, okay, um, held were in a museum in York where they have a Victorian street set up. So it's the, the perfect setting. They had, you know, the horse and carts there, the, all the old Victorian shop fronts. So did you have to dress up? So it looked like an episode of Downton Abbey. I didn't have to. They didn't mention it, but I, I assumed that, you know. See, so you should have like a box that made like a poof with smoke when you took each picture. <laughs> It'd be fantastic if I could just get hold of an old few camera case from somewhere and just put a DSLR inside it and make it look like I had a cloak over it. That would have been fantastic. You could have been standing at an easel doing sketches of people as they sat very still. Yeah, that, that would have been fantastic. But it, it was a great event and they didn't ask me to dress up, but I've, whenever I'm doing a sort of a wedding event, there's, there's sort of two 
camps in photography. One one that says you should turn up to a wedding clothes that are comfortable for you because you will, if you're comfortable, you will do a better job and take better photographs. And the other camp is that, well, you sh- you're turning up to someone's wedding. You shouldn't turn up in jeans. Um, I did go to a friend of mine's wedding. The photographers there, they were brilliant. But the guy came and he had, he was a tall guy with boots on, dressed all in black, black T-shirt with a kind of accessory belts all around him. He looked a little bit like a sort of special he, force soldier. He sounds like the Batman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Tall tall guy dressed all in black, utility <laughs> belt. A, a yeah. You know, no splinter cell. If you imagine that guy. At a, at a red... <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds cooler. like if you give him a top hat, he could clean chimneys too. <laughs> lot of directions he could go with this he's always that i should, if a wedding i should blend in i should wear a suit i should be able to put my camera in and within two seconds everyone's forgotten i'm there and i can get yeah. more natural photos that way so if i'm turning up to a victorian wedding i'm going to go as a victorian so i had a stovepipe hat waistcoat <laughs> <laughs> and you had to clean chimneys afterwards anyway so you might as well what's really offensive is as soon as joel heard your accent he wrote down ask about cleaning chimneys on his notepad i saw <laughs> yeah, i've been trying to get through that, that cello card for a while now people, um, my official title is obviously I've got a PhD. is Doctor Grum, which apparently sounds like the villain in a James Bond film. It does sound like a villain. Of every every American film ever made, the, the villain's always English because he sounds mischievous and evil and all sorts yeah. of things oh, like that. So I'm afraid Doctor Grum anticipated. <laughs> what kind of accent was that? I don't. Yeah, the accent, oh. sir. Okay. Okay. So you went to you, you were starting to tell us something, and then we sidetracked <laughs> you on the Victorian oh, wedding. That always yes. happens. Well, yeah. you've been listening to the Stack Exchange podcast. <laughs> no. But wait, weddings are a lot of fun. I did, I did one in France, and I ended up in a dance-off at some point because my philosophy for weddings again, you've got to sort of fit in, you've got to play the part. Robert Kappa, the famous war photographer, said, "If your photos aren't good enough, it's because you're not close enough." So I don't like to skulk around the edge of the room with a. Well, they, they had not yet invented the telephoto lens. <laughs> well, there is that too, but it's a, it's a lunatic. But he got fantastic photos, and I can do that with my spy satellite. <laughs> If you're photographing a wedding, then... Um, don't use a spy satellite. Don't use a spy satellite. That's, that's my first piece of advice to you. Um, <laughs> if, if you want to take photos on the dance floor and people enjoying themselves, you can't do it from the edge of the room. And if you're going to go into the dance floor, you can't just stand still because everyone will be suddenly aware of you. You've got to move around. You've basically got to dance. And this kind of evolved. I should also point out at this wedding that I might have had a bit of wine. Um, it was, <laughs> the wedding was in France. It was in a chateau and there were some waiters. And every time you took a sip of your drink, a waiter appeared out of nowhere and topped it back up this... again. So your drink was always full. This sounds um, like a way better hobby than mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somehow, uh, yeah, I ended up in a dance-off with someone. And, Did you uh, win? Handed my camera to someone and there's photographs of it. I, I don't know. I think every every dance off ends in a drawer at some point. <laughs> Two losers. We we have a dance off <laughs> and a fiddle contest in this podcast. This might be our best podcast ever. Um, I think we are almost out of time. We do have we have a user question. We should hit our user question. Go for it. Okay. I didn't we, know we had a user question. We do. We do. I think it was submitted. To, I think uh, Alex got it. I want to say via twi- the twitters. We should tell people how to ask user questions. Uh, we have a website. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. We have a website. Does anybody know what it is? Because I was... We'll put it in the show notes. But the, So the question came from... That's harsh. Twitter, Money with Wings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At Money with Wings asks... Don't know. Don't have any idea what that means. Uh, okay. Does Stack Overflow have an unwritten rule against editing someone else's code and general no. editing adequate? So do we? Do we have a... Is there such a rule? I think the whole point of the site is it's, it's collaborative and it's encouraging editing because the ultimate goal is the highest quality information to be present. So I think... It's exactly the opposite, that if there's a mistake in somebody's code, then you should correct it. You know, Matt, we're hiring community managers, if you're interested in, <laughs> in a third job. We'll all call you Dr. Grum. <laughs> Dr. Grum. Dr. Grum. Welcome, Dr. Grum. You can always 
Some people have pointed out that it might be nicer to, if it's a recent answer, to suggest that the person who answered it, you know, suggest the edit in a comment, give them a chance to do it themselves. That's a little bit too polite. Uh, Just change yeah, it. Yeah, there's this We're came up this came up recently, and we in the community chat room we were talking about we, we saw a couple of cases where somebody basically took a. I don't know if it's an answer or a question, but they took a post, and what had happened was they did a suggested edit. So people that can't, don't have editing privileges can suggest an edit, where they essentially added a good code example. It was a question, I think. They took the question, and they added a code example to give a specific case, mm-hmm. and people in the review queue, there were a couple of instances, rejected it, as the user didn't post this, this isn't their example. And I think that was a mistake. Like, my yeah. view is, assuming that your edit does not change the original poster's kind of core goal point need... Adding information that they didn't choose to add is helpful and a good thing. I don't even think you have to. I don't really care about the person that asked the question. No, but what I mean is if the question is like, how do I properly pluck a chicken? And yeah. you change it to <laughs> where duck. can I find a good cover band to yeah. play Devil Went <laughs> Down to Georgia at That's my fine. wedding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no longer what the person was asking. That's right? true. So they need to ask it again. No, if you have a different <laughs> question, you ask a different question. Well, that would be better, but I'm not. The goal, I mean, the goal with editing is to, is to refine and clarify, right? right? I mean, if you're helping make the question clearer, helping the person get their answer, then most people aren't going to get angry at you. Where people get angry is when they feel like you fundamentally changed what they were asking or what they were saying in their answer. I think we're, there's a danger in us unnecessarily narrowing the range of sort of the scope of that we want edited, where I think we're, you know, we, we don't want really trivial edits, we often say, which I'm not even sure. There's, there's issues, right? They bump to the front page too much. So we don't want these one-letter edits. Yeah. But then we also start saying, well, don't add something that the person wouldn't add if it's not their example. I actually think we're losing, I think more editing is good if we're not losing the heart of what they were right. asking. Sure. And yeah. so I, I'm really for those kinds think, of examples. The thing that people need to remember is that only one person asks each question. A couple of people might answer it. Several people comment on it, interact with it. A thousand people are going to read it when they find it on a Google search result. Right. So right. those thousand are a little bit more important than the person who asked the question, especially if some time has passed. You know, they got their answer. They've moved on. They've solved their problem. At that point, it just becomes community property. And, you know, one of the big innovations of Stack Overflow was that unlike other discussion forums where everything was assumed to be like immediately, you know, amber quartz, what's the word? Uh, jellified, uh, uh, crystallized. Uh, like nothing amethyst. could ever change. Everything was just sort of like a snapshot. Amethyst? You what? were just naming weird crystalline minerals. I had no idea okay. what was happening. <laughs> Gar- garnet. <laughs> Unlike the traditional discussion forum software where it was just like a record of a conversation that somebody had several years ago, you know, we actually added that wiki style editing so that it could continue to be useful. Even if it was a little bit wrong, we could make it a little bit less wrong for future visitors so that we could continue to serve all the people that found that answer on Google, who are hundreds of people now, who, you know, as time goes on, become more and more important than the person who asked the question, who ceases to be important after they get their answer. So I think that's the right general case approach. And then back to the specific use case, I guess one thing you've got to obviously think about is the extent to which the person is broadly asking for help with what's what's the problem in their code is. We don't like general, what's wrong with my code, but you obviously wouldn't want to edit it where it was no longer possible to somehow identify what their specific problem was. But if the editing, I think, generally improves the ability of other users to understand the problem, that's a good thing. All right. Well, you've been listening to the Stack Exchange podcast. It's been episode 49. Apologies to Matt Damon. We didn't have time to get to you. We'll get you on a future show. Today we had <laughs> special guest, Dr. Matt Grum from Photography Stack Exchange. Where can they find you? Well, I guess they can go to Photography Stack Exchange and most of the answers are by you. Yeah, uh, they can do. Um... Do you have a blog, a tweet, <laughs> and Instagram? 
I don't have much of a vlog, but I'm going to use this opportunity to plug my band, actually, which is something yeah. I've been working right. on recently. And some of your music, it will play out to some of your music. Absolutely. What kind of band is it? It's a punk rock band. Oh, never mind. Um, Forget that. I'm on, I play drums, <laughs> and the uh, band's called Juno, as in the name of the film. Sadly, we weren't named after the film, they were named after us. You should be careful. I used to work for Juno Online Services. And it turns out there's a company that makes lights. <laughs> Lighting fixtures called Juno, and they love yeah. to sue people. And there's also a dozen bands called Juno already. And found. the Roman god is crazy litigious. Crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Matt, what was the link? The link is www.wearejuno.com. We are Juno. J-U-N-O. J-U-N-O. Dot com. Uh, Dave Fullerton, Jay Hanlon, fake producer Alex. Bye. Real producer Alex is here, but he's here by Ouija board and uh, show notes by Abby. As usual, today's episode brought to you by the letter S. S stands for Stack Exchange. And don't forget to go to the show notes at blog.stackexchange.com where you get links to all kinds of things that happen in the show and leave us some comments if you have any questions for a future episode. Somehow direct them to us. Chicken in the bread pan. Pick it out, dough. And next week is episode 50. So stay tuned. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be insane. It's going to be our half century. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Matt. turned out remarkably well for a podcast we couldn't even turn on best comment from the peanut gallery was am i high is this really happening <laughs> what, middle was from June. What, what was happening that was it was uh, you were just singing devil went down to georgia acapella fire on the mountain run boys run the devil's in the house of the rising sun this is now here's the lyric chicken in the bread pan picking out dough what does it mean